You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? Chad, I'm I'm suffering a little bit of an excitement hangover because unlike you, I chose to use my Saturday night watching the Roy Jones Jr. Mike Tyson thriller on Triller event. Yeah. You what did you do on Saturday night? Just out of curiosity. Uh I spent time with my family and ignored your text. See, mistakes all around is what you're saying. You made colossal See, as, blunders. As, as soon as that text came over, I knew that you were feeling guilty that you fucked up. Um, but it's okay. We can, we'll discuss that at length coming up in one of the rounds here on the uh, co-main event podcast. Just a reminder to everyone over there, we got a full week of Cool content coming out at the Patreon page. If you are not a member of the team over there, uh, go ahead over to uh, patreon.com slash co-main event. Join up. We're going to be having the live chat as usual on Wednesday. We'll be doing a movie club podcast about Wake and Fright, the Ted Kotcheff film on Thursday. And then, of course, Friday, the power hour, like we always do, leading into uh, UFC on ESPN event coming up next saturday night uh don't forget as well you can drape yourself in some co-main event podcast merchandise if you are so inclined we got cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirts we got dundasso t-shirts all those for sale over at cottonbureau.com they're always available on demand all the time whenever you want them go over to cottonbureau.com get yourself some cme merchandise today we got music this week from cme listener and beloved patron doug ty aka spider fighting if you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spiderfighting. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, if you hadn't been paying that close of attention, you might have been surprised on Saturday night to tune in to the UFC and find Anthony Smith fighting Devin Clark in the main event instead of a heavyweight bout between Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. Sometimes these things happen in pandemic MMA. And in round number two, a bunch of people, including Ben Folks, allegedly enjoyed watching Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. fight in an exhibition boxing match on Saturday night. In round two, I launch a full investigation. And in round number three, if you hadn't been paying that close of attention, you might be surprised on Saturday night to tune in to the UFC and find Jack Hermanson fighting Marvin Vittori in a middleweight fight instead of Darren Till or Kevin Holland. And don't even get us started on who Jacare Souza is now scheduled to fight at UFC 256. Sometimes these things happen in pandemic MMA. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Jizzy B. Okay. Who writes, 
I know you fellas always talk about the UFC serving up slop lately and with even more on the way, but have you seen the lineup for that December 19th card from top to bottom? Where does this rank as one of the greatest UFC fight nights of all time, COVID withstanding? Oh, and the UFC 256 main card ain't too shabby either. Now we got a scare this week, folks, right? Some uh, scattered reports that Kamzat Shamayev had tested positive for COVID-19 and was actually out of this welterweight main event against Leon Edwards. As of this recording, we don't think that's true. We think that Shamayev and Edwards are actually going to do the damn thing. That leaves uh, Wonder Man Thompson versus Jeff Neal in the co-main event. Marcin Tybura against Greg Hardy in a heavyweight main event. Nice to see Greg Hardy reclaim his spot as a... Uh, as a UFC main card attraction. Yeah. Then you got bantamweight fight between Marlon Moraes and Rob Font, a light heavyweight fight between Misha Sirkunov and Ryan Spahn, and a bantamweight curtain jerker on the main card, Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera. It's going to open that thing up. Also, some, some kind of interesting stuff going on down there. Yeah, the prelims. On the prelim card. Uh, Michelle Pereira against Chaos Williams, your featured prelim there. And some other halfway interesting stuff. So on paper, Bilal Muhammad and admit, Diego Lima. Looking forward to that one. Remember the name, Chad. Remember the name, Bilal Muhammad. Uh, the, on paper, this thing looks really good. In fact, we've talked about perhaps having a uh, a Saturday night Patreon fight party for this event, despite the fact that it's just a, a fight night event and not a pay per view. Although, if you paid attention to the rounds that I just read off at the beginning of this podcast, you might have noticed a theme. And that theme is these fucking cards don't hang together, man. Right now, you kidding me? We'll be lucky if we got three fights on this thing by the time we get to December nineteenth. Okay, see, this is what I was wondering when we were we were mentioning the the rumors surrounding Kamzat Shmaev right now, right? The way we've been doing, the way the UFC has been approaching the COVID positives lately. If he tested positive now, we're sitting here Monday, November thirtieth. This card is scheduled for Saturday, December nineteenth, right? So. The way the UFC has been approaching the COVID positives recently is, oh, you're COVID positive this week? How about two weeks from now? Would that work? Like, we'll just, we'll push it a little bit. And I don't know, at least so far, it seems like it's worked relatively okay. I do wonder a little bit if you're going to run into a problem, especially once we heard Cody Garbs talk about how he's still dealing with long-term effects, it seems, stemming from his COVID infection. And, you, you know... We, I think, maybe assume, hey, pro fighters, they all fall in the young and healthy category. They might get it. They might test positive, but then they're going to be fine. And so recently, like that's how the UFC has been approaching it. Whenever there's news of somebody, okay, you tested positive. Okay, this means we'll just we'll bump your fight two weeks later and you'll be fine by then. And so far, at least hasn't we haven't seen or we don't know about any situation that might seem to suggest that that's a bad idea, but I don't know. I mean, like on one hand, what if, if Chamayev has to get COVID, is it better for him to get it now than closer to the fight when the UFC might look at it and be like, eh, you know, he could still fight as long as he's not feeling sick or anything. And yet at the same time, like when people are saying like, Hey, look how good this fight card is three weeks from now, I'm going, hold on player. Cause we are not yeah. there yet. Like we, yeah. we're not there yet. Until the the fights actually start, 
that's what we've learned throughout all this. It could be the day before and the, the whole thing gets changed up. It could be a couple hours before the event starts and things could be changed up. You, you just don't know until you get there. But on paper, this yeah. looks pretty awesome. Yeah, we're, I'm hoping it hangs together, knock on wood, because uh, this does look like a an awesome way to start to close out what has otherwise been a fairly rough 2020, both for the world at large and, I would guess, the UFC's bottom line. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's it seems like the UFC, I would I would wager if if indeed the world does start to put the pandemic behind it uh, in 2021, I would imagine the UFC is going to try to stack some cards and, and have a blowout good time to try to uh, to make up if for no other reason than its own bottom line for the stuff that happened in 2020. And I guess I am choosing to see this fight night card as perhaps a sign that that that's the direction that we're headed, that 2021 could be a bounce back year, both for the UFC's finances and perhaps for the enjoyment of fans who have, uh, you know, struggled through some of this stuff, all the things going on and everything that's been going on trademark, notwithstanding, like it's been kind of a hard time also to be an an MMA fan this year. So I assume once those vaccines are ready, once we start turning out those vaccines, if we give them, you know, to like, Healthcare workers and teachers and stuff first and high risk populations like the elderly and people who with pre-existing conditions. And then after that list has to be professional cage fighters, right? Yes. You'd, you'd assume. Right after mm-hmm. professional MMA promoters, I would think, <laughs> would probably get the vaccine first and then then we'll work on the fighters. Did you see that? Uh, I just saw this fleetingly a couple of weeks ago that Javier Mendez from AKA had put something on his Instagram that at least made it look like he got vaccinated uh, when he was in Abu Dhabi. What? He just like put a post on his Instagram that was like, "Thanks Abu Dhabi for the COVID nineteen vaccine." Is he is he having a have a little bit of fun on the internet? I have no idea. Either that, or he's part of the pilot program, right? Get this thing off the ground. Okay, well but then, so, but then uh, maybe he got a, a placebo. That's, that's possible. Yeah. So you don't know. Man. I'm just. I need. I'm, I, I'm merely repeating what see, I heard. This is folks. why we, we need to cultivate some more friends in high places, like friends in foreign wealthy governments, perhaps. Because right now, it's like I know you and you know me, but that helps neither one of us, man. No, neither of us can get our hands on a COVID nineteen vaccine right now. I could get you a dirty needle. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could put something in there. Bleach, I've heard, is supposed to be effective. I could come over to your house. Shoot you up with some bleach and we could go from there. This conversation has taken a turn. Next question this week comes to us from Shia LaBus down. <laughs> nice. Uh, saw the Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul fight. LOL. That's it. huh? That's the that's the the glister mail entry here. I mean, in fairness, this would this is an excerpt from a longer question. Oh, OK, but here is the part that concerns us <laughs> during the listener mail segment of this week's show. Uh, I circled back and watched these fights uh, on the internets this morning, and there you there you got your guy Jake Paul. Not to be confused with Logan Paul, but uh, Jake Paul gets his second, I believe, professional win as a as a boxer over former NBA player Nate Nate Robinson. Okay, wait a minute. And, uh, until you said it right now, I realize I have been assuming that Jake Paul and Logan Paul are the same person. Which one is Logan Paul? The other one. Okay, but like. But they are different how? Right, what are you asking me for, 42-year-old father of three over here? You think I got my ear to the ground on uh, on the Paul brothers? Does like Logan I'm, Paul also uh, box? The, 
I believe so. He's the Logan Paul is the one who fought the other dude, KSI, correct? Okay. Jake Paul, I believe now, I see I'm probably going to get this wrong, but my belief is Jake Paul is the slightly less famous Paul brother on the internet, but perhaps the more uh accomplished athlete. Okay. Which one is the one that got in trouble for uh sh- like putting a live video feed of a dead body he found hanging in a forest in Japan? I have no okay. idea. Okay. That's see that's kind of like the sum total that and that one of them uh was maybe uh, got in trouble for engaging in looting during some kind of like riot. Those are the only things. See, I, I don't even know. I don't, I, I really thought that they were the same person until right now and this is a lot to to digest. <laughs> You have already uh, exceeded my own knowledge of the Paul brothers. But you did see this fight. You saw Jake Paul just go out there and sleep former NBA player Nate Robinson. Yeah. Well, Nate Robinson got clowned online. He got. And so I had to I had to see for myself what the clowning was all about. See, I feel like the clowning. I know. I understand that that's what we're doing. And there are these predictable things that happen after something like this, right? Like he gets face plant KO'd in this fight. The online clowning begins. A bunch of other people, including many actual professional fighters, will then respond to be like, how dare you clown this guy who at least had the guts to get in there. And I feel like there's got to be a happy medium. You know, there's got to be a thing where people who paid the 50 bucks to sit there and watch the guy fight could be like, I, here is my opinion on what I saw, and some of it may, in fact, be a little bit of light clowning. But also, it can't be all the way in the other direction of like, hey, look, as soon as somebody agrees to fight, you you cannot say a single bad thing about their performance in that fight. Yeah, they're pro- they're, they're protected by a shroud of invincibility. Yeah. I Diplomatic mean, not, immunity, not a- for but for fighting-based reasons invincibility except to the overhand right because a lot of those fighters uh, who are going to say some shit about it how dare any of you say anything about anybody who gets in there and has the guts to fight and everything. and i get what they're they, i think they're coming from a, a sincere good honest place but then the next day is going to be sunday and they're going to have some shit to say about the quarterback for their favorite nfl team and what a garbage show he is and you're going to be like wait a minute do you not see how you're just you're just doing the thing for somebody else's sport that you were mad at them doing in your sport or a story that was written about them that they did not like well okay right uh, anybody who had I the guts to put bad. an article on an internet, Chad, you can't say anything about it. Yeah. Well, just show me your journalism degree. Then we can talk. Uh, I felt bad for Nate Robinson here, man. He gets knocked down in the first round by a punch that can only be described as landing to the base of the neck. It's a legal punch the, though. Uh, it landed like right behind his ear. Kind of. It landed right on the base of his neck. Let's not try to pretend like one of us was inebriated when we watched this fight <laughs> and one of us wasn't. Uh, I watched it this morning, Stone Cold Sober. Looked like an illegal blow to me, despite the, of what Snoop Dogg and Mauro Ronaldo had to say on the broadcast. Then he gets up, keeps going, gets floored again with the overhand right, gets up again and keeps going. I mean, knowing that you are essentially dealing with a celebrity boxing match here, at some point, you got to say enough is enough. And in a perfect world, that point would happen before Jake Paul put the right hand right on Nate Robinson's chin bone and, and memeized him for all to see. But Chad, it's like Snoop Dogg said, there's two things in life. You can't play. You can't play boxing and you can't play this pimping. 
Mm-hmm. Those are, I think, that, profound words that I would like you to reflect on in this moment. I will. You know what? I'm going to take that under advisement. Next question this week comes to us from David Hassan, who writes, for fighters, making yourself memorable is clearly important and should be a priority. It can be as simple as Jonathan Pierce giving himself the nickname JSP, then in parentheses, borderline copyright infringement. Yes, he won impressively, but fighters win by TKO multiple times a weekend. That nickname makes him a little bit more memorable, or it can be as difficult as those liver kicks, uh, Gina Mazzani. Uh, crazy dyed hair, totally forgettable, but end a fight that way that's memorable that's that all said i'm repeated i'm repeatedly shocked how few fighters seem to realize how important it is to be quote-unquote memorable and make the effort uh why is this what do fighters why is this what do fighters managers trainers think about the concept of creating their own brands well he asked this this same exact question on the athletics mailbag this week and i answered it and this is actually i've talked with fighters and managers about this in the past and probably more managers, in fact, than than fighters. And a lot of what they say, I think that makes sense to me is you hear from managers are like, look, if you got a guy who has a lot of personality and can really show that off and is a really like memorable, just individual outside of fighting and has a lot of that kind of stuff going on for them, then yes, you want to try to find ways to highlight that. But not everybody has that. And if you get so focused on that and on trying to impress upon them, like, okay, you got to be a memorable person online or you got to have your hair dyed crazy color. you got to like come up with something that'll stick in people's minds. They have a whole other set of concerns, which is making sure I don't get my ass memeized on TV by going out there and getting beat up. Like that's their main concern. And, and I think a lot of them, they probably think that they are memorable people or that they do have a lot of personality. And sometimes they might even be right. But like the examples that he points to on this exact fight card, we're like, okay, you know, you have some people who had some good performances that are going to be people who made us go, okay, like I'm going to be interested in seeing that, that person the next time they fight. But then there's another fight night event coming up this weekend. And then after that, and then after that, and after, and it's like, by the time they roll around again in three months or whatever, it's not that easy to just get us to immediately recall, Oh, this is the person who you got briefly interested in one Saturday night, way back at the end of November. Yeah. Uh, I have long said, if I were a borderline athlete, middling level talented MMA fighter, the very first thing I would do would be to grow a, a, like a cop mustache so that people would remember me. They would be like, oh, this is the guy with the, with the mustache. Now, that being said, you know, I would echo the comments that you, that you uh, said just a few minutes ago, like not everyone can do it. A lot of times if people try to do it, it can end in disaster if it doesn't come naturally for them. And I think the other thing to mention is that uh, sometimes be careful what you wish for. Because I think we've seen situations where a Chael Sonnen or a Cody Cover, uh, Colby Covington transforms themselves into this sort of larger-than-life cartoon character. And the next thing you know, you're in the buffet line <laughs> wearing your cargo shorts, just trying to get some sausage links and a slice of prime rib. And the next thing you know, Kamar Usman is rolling up on you with, his, with, with Ali Abdelaziz. And you're off the, you're thinking you're off the clock, but no, what you've done, see, is transform your entire life into this uh, larger than life character. And I would wager that that is not always fun. Yeah. Now, do, are the payoffs worth it? I guess you would have to ask those guys, but I would wager that being Chael Sonnen 
gets tiring sometimes. Even though Sonnen Sonnen is is essentially turning his own personality up to eleven, and and like he kind of is what he is, I think, in a lot of sense. But like people who actually know Chael Sonnen on a personal level really like the guy and say that he's super nice and super charming, very engaging. I would wager that being MMA's biggest heel at times can wear on you. So it's it's uh it's a it's a sacrifice. It's a tra- it's a, a trade off that you make. Yeah, and and I don't think everybody is willing to make. That. Well, and those are the kind of the best case scenarios that you become this character that gets big and noticeable enough that people actually want you to be it all the time. The other way it can go, and the way maybe it more commonly goes, can be summed up with this here chant, Chat. <clears throat> Here we go, evil. Here we go. Or how about this? Or what don't about, fear uh, me. Don't fear me. Yeah, fear the consequences. Yeah. Just followed by silence. Every once in, in a while, you see, you think you have something. You, you roll it out there, and it's just crickets coming back at you. And you wish maybe you'd never tried. All right, I'm going to read this next one from Patrick Milder because it goes along a little bit with what we're talking about here. He writes, you guys complain about the UFC putting no names on the main event, but then admit you don't really watch the prelims. Watch the prelims every time. Go on. These quote, I think he's, that's probably directed okay. at me. Uh, these, these quote unquote no name guys are still better than most of the, most of the Bellator roster. Editorial statement, no, they're not. Uh, how exactly is the UFC supposed to make them into no names if fans won't watch them on the prelims and you guys hate on them when they're on the main event? And then he tags it, admittedly an amateur MMA fighter, neuroscientist with a lot of respect for dudes killing themselves just to make it to that quote no name UFC level. Uh, ben, I, I, I feel the pain here of the fighters and of Patrick Milder, who emails the the show a lot and is is a smart and and nice guy. Uh, But one thing that I would like to say about this concept is that I don't think you can put this on fans, man. I don't think you can keep this responsibility on MMA fans and or us for simply standing back and saying, man, these events have gotten so watered down over the last decade. They are not even comparable to how they used to be while we were getting interested in this sport. And it is, it is ever more and more harder to like find the time, pay the money and, and like put aside the interest to watch these fights. Like these were in making these comments, like we're making them entirely within the bubble of the world the UFC has created. Yeah. And they overloaded the schedule and the weight of it kind of broke the system, man. Because during the times when you and I were were coming up in this sport and getting getting to know it, you had to watch the prelims, man. The prelims well, if you could, would give you if they were even broadcast yeah, anywhere. If they were if they were on TV, you had to watch them because they would feature people that you were interested in. And in fact, you look at a guy like George St. Pierre, by the time he ultimately wins the title, like everybody knew George St. Pierre was going to be the welterweight champion because we'd been watching all of his fights and we knew how good he was. It's not necessarily our fault. It doesn't necessarily fall at our feet that the UFC has so changed the system that that doesn't exist anymore. That now not only are these entire events not must see TV, but the prelims are merely preliminaries and watched by only a small minority of the people who are actually watching these UFC events. This is a complaint that you should not bring to the fans or the media. This is a complaint that you should bring to the people who like design the fabric of the sport. Right. But I mean, you say 
the pressure that they put on it broke the system. And I would say really that it's more they intentionally changed the system because they changed their concept of how what the UFC as like a company is and how it's going to make right. its money. It, it, it broke the system of fan interest. The system of how the UFC makes its money is working better than ever. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like that's another thing, like just reflect back to like the, the previous question about why more fighters don't go out of their way to become mem- memorable characters in the landscape of the sport. All of this is to assume that there is somehow not enough money to go around when that is the furthest possible thing from the truth. You could go out there as an MMA fighter and do nothing to distinguish yourself from the crowd, and you should still be making about three times as much money as you are right now, just knowing what we know about the UFC's finances. Yeah, well, kind of to the point in this question that says like, hey, if if the thinking is that the the product is just so relentless and watered down now that it devalues what it means to be in the UFC. Like remember when the phrase UFC caliber used to feel like it really referred to an identifiable thing. And now it's kind of like, all right, get people off the contender series, get people off of local MMA, especially when they're, uh, they're really hurting for warm bodies. They're kind of reaching for a whole lot of people that maybe a year or two ago, they wouldn't have been reaching for. And yet I also feel like the U like the way Patrick Miller frames this. How exactly is the USC supposed to make them no names if fans won't watch them on prelims? I don't know if the UFC is really trying that hard to make them no names. I think the UFC, for to a great extent, is fine with them just being somebody who fights on these cards, and then you wait and you see over time, like somebody really catches fire and somebody really catches fan interest, then okay, we go with that. I don't think that there's a whole lot of effort and energy being put into it by the UFC to try to really make those people into anything. It's kind of just like, all right, who's up next? Whoever we got, we're going to put together some version of the same video package on them and tell you like, here's why you should care about them. But then it's going to move on very quickly to the next thing. And we won't be trying to keep up with trying to maintain your interest in that person we told you about two weeks ago. Right. Like that's just not how the the conveyor belt of the UFC events works these days, and and I agree that that's something that you can't really put on fans or podcast hosts, for that matter. Right. And that's like the thing that you just described is uh, is a failing of the system, or is at least a, a a conscious desire to not have the the system function the same way anymore. Because in a perfect world, the promoter is promoting its athletes, and it just doesn't doesn't seem like that's the priority. In this in this current landscape. All right, we got one more here from Tom Hughes, who writes, I don't really have a question, just thought you and the rest of the co-maniacs would like to know that Russia is overtaking Japan on having the wackiest fights. Uh, and then he includes a link here to 529 pound man fights three 139 pound woman in Russian MMA bout this from uh, bloody elbow Victor Rodriguez over there. Ben, did you watch this? I mean, on the uh, Grabaka Hitman's uh, Twitter feed see, here that uh, I got interested because I was looking at the Twitter and I saw first I saw the Grabaka Hitman first put out a tweet that said, I'm about to drop something in a couple minutes here and I already don't know if I should. 
like I, or I already feel conflicted about it. And I w- he says, yeah, so the wasn't sure about posting yes. this, but decided I'd be failing you all. If I see didn't. when I first saw his message before this saying like, okay, something is coming here and I, I am already sort of regretting it. I was basically the gift of the guy rubbing his hands together. It's like, Oh, here we go. Here we go. And so I was keeping an eye on a sweet after that. And then when I saw this, I was like, dear God, um, and I told him, I, I believe, like I replied to this tweet by being like, I understand his him feeling conflicted about posting it. And yet, we all know the vital service that the Grabaka hitman performs for the MMA Twitter sphere. If you knew, if you, you found out later, I assume in some kind of congressional hearing, that he had this video in his possession and did not post it, you would consider that a failure. You would consider that a dereliction of duty on his part. Yeah, he kind of had Absolutely. to. Um, I really like though that like how specific we're being about the weights. She's 139 pounds. He's 529 pounds. Don't don't undersell it by saying he's just like around like 500 pounds. Like let's get it down. Let's make sure we know exactly what we're dealing with here, and then we have what is essentially a pro wrestling contest. Yeah, you got uh, Grigory Chistikov and Darina Madziuk squaring off here. Um, this is kind of like the uh, well, <laughs> the, I was going to say this is kind of like the Tank Abbott Don Fry fight from Ultimate Ultimate '96. It's actually not like no. that, um, but is only like it because the tide turns when one of the people involved in the fight merely falls down. Right. Like you, you can say that I believe that we're billing this guy as the Chernobyl Chungus. Is that right? <laughs> That's what we're calling the, uh, wow. The Goliath here. Like he's, he's in this thing right until the fact or the part where he falls down and then cannot get up. I just want to know what the, what the planning meetings were like, how this idea went from conception to reality. That's what I want to know. I feel like I could watch an entire documentary about that. Well, at some point, the question had to be asked, what's the heaviest guy we can get? Yeah, There was some kind of 515 pound guy and they're like, we can do better. We can do better than that. Now, not necessarily what's the heaviest guy who has any combat sports training, because I don't know that that's what you've got here in the Chernobyl Chungus. You just got a guy wearing an enormous pair of black underwear uh, out there. I guess he's doing some cage control maneuvers, but, uh, you know. His Achilles heels when he falls down because after that, he he brings a lot of excitement prior to the bell. Let's say that does a little dance, comes down the aisle, literally rolls into the cage, which is when you're you're tipped off that this guy knows why he's there, (laughs) like he understands his drawing power, and then you've got what appears to be actual MMA fighter, uh, Darina Madziuk, and she's she's about that life. And uh, wins this thing by first round, not spoiler alert, wins this thing by first round TKO, I guess. Sport of Kings. Mixed martial arts. That's right. <laughs> that is going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that sees, says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Well, Ben, we were supposed to get a heavyweight fight between Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis in the main event of this ESPN Plus Fight Night event on Saturday night from the Apex Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we got close, man. We had uh, Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis on hand all week doing their media stuff, uh, cutting their interviews, getting ready to go. The day before the event, their bout gets canceled because Curtis Blades tests positive for COVID-19. And so at that point, really the only option is to promote Anthony Smith's fight with Devin Clark to main event status here. Supposed to be a three-rounder. Anthony Smith asked for it to be the full five, five-minute rounds denoting a main event, but we didn't even come close to needing that time. Anthony Smith, the victor here, two minutes and 34 seconds into the first round via triangle choke, tight-ass triangle choke, defeats Devin Clark, gets back in the win column. I don't know what to say about this exactly other than the fact that here we go again, like another wild lead up to a UFC event where if you weren't paying attention, and I mean like close attention, you might have tuned in Saturday night and been like, wait, what am I watching? Yeah. You might well have been like that. You might have been like, where's the Black Beast? I came here to watch the Black Beast. Why am I watching Anthony Smith trying to trying to pull a Paul Felder out here? Yeah. Well, and I can understand how you might have ended up that way because, you know, it's the Thanksgiving weekend essentially or maybe you're tuning out from you're not spending as much time obsessively checking twitter hopefully for the sake of your own mental health and then you roll into this fight and realize that it's it's not the thing that you thought it was going to be and that is kind of the the times we're living in with everything that's going on out there what what would you say when like this means for Anthony Smith at this point in his career. I mean, it's one thing. It's nice for him to, I guess, get promoted to the main event and have that to himself. But he goes in there and he fights Devin Clark. And I saw afterwards, even I, I don't I think it was Jimmy Manawa, the, the, the paper boy out there saying how he felt like, OK, they gave Anthony Smith an easy win to kind of get him back in there. What do you make of the the value of this victory for Anthony Smith? Seemed to feel good to Anthony Smith. This is his first win of the year. He's one and three headed into this fight, so it was it was better for him to win this than lose it. I'm sure that there was uh, a lot of pressure on him because you don't want to lose to a guy like Devin Clark, who's who's creeping on a come up here. You don't want him to uh, to steal your thunder, take your place in the rankings. Uh, it could have been a definitive loss, really, for Anthony Smith if he hadn't taken care of business out there. So I'm sure he was motivated. Uh, to go out there and get it done. I made a Paul Felder reference a moment ago, but clearly you're not going to get the same kind of a uh, popularity rub out of this fight against Devin Clark as as Felder did even in a losing effort against Rafael Dos Anjos. It's just not not the same caliber of opponent. And you know the late the even later switch here didn't really give anybody time to 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 publicize it. But I mean it's it's a decent win for Anthony Smith to get himself you know, maybe back on track, maybe just psychologically. I don't know. He talked a little bit in the post-fight press conference about how you kind of forget what it's like to win. And so for him, maybe it's a building block towards something else for a guy who has a lot of wear and tear on the on the body, a lot of experience in MMA, but is still only 32 years old. So still has some things he can do in this sport. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like this is a meaningful win for Anthony Smith, aside from the fact that he was go, he, that he was able to go out there 
and essentially prove there's levels to this. Shit. Yeah, I mean, really what he did here is stop the slide, which that's an important thing for him to do here, uh, especially, you know, you talk about how a year that you spend with a couple losses, losing some teeth and you you're rolling toward the end of the year feeling like you need a, a pick me up in whatever form you can possibly get it. And I'm sure Anthony Smith is not sitting around going, yeah, but he wasn't too high profile of an opponent. Like I'm sure it just, Hey, he, he, the thing he said about how you forget what it's like to win. I thought that that was really interesting, especially because he said, I remember losses I have on the regional scene like 10 years ago. That really sticks with you. You don't forget what that's like, but when you've gone a little while without winning, you kind of forget what that feeling is like. And I, I felt like, okay, yeah, I can, I can see how that might be the case for a guy in his situation. And you're right. Like it's the kind of fight where when he wins it, people are going to go, okay, you beat an unranked light heavyweight and you're supposed to win that fight. If you're Anthony Smith, I mean, first round triangle choke, especially super late on a Saturday night, everybody's going, well, thank you, Anthony Smith for getting us out of here, wrapping this thing up in a timely fashion. But other than that, People are probably not going to give you a ton of credit for that win. And yet for him, all that that fight is about stopping the bleeding on your career and just halting that skid and trying to get your legs underneath you again so that maybe you can look to move forward from there. You, you, like it's not the kind of fight where winning it changes everything about the way people perceive you, but at least it, it stops you from falling further into that abyss. Yeah. And he went out and picked himself up an extra 50 G's for the uh, performance of the night bonus here. So maybe a nice Christmas over at the Smith residence. You know, you know what really blew my mind when I went and I looked at Devin Clark's record, Jet. Devin Clark. Well, what's that? Devin Clark has been in the UFC for over four years. Yeah. He's been on that win a couple, lose one pattern for the duration of his UFC career. Although I will point out, he went out and did the mustache thing <laughs> during this fight. He's like, hey, mid-range guy getting my first main event opportunity here. Maybe going to be a couple more eyeballs on me than normal. Going to rock the mustache. People remember who I am. Just a mustache isn't enough these days. It's like you need, you know, that scene in uh, the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit where Maddie's been told to find the, the sheriff and she asks somebody in the crowd at the public hanging, which one is the sheriff? And she replies, him with the mustaches. And then the, the camera immediately cuts to this guy with just enormous, like walrus ass handlebar mustache. That's the kind you need. You need to be him with the mustaches. You can't be just him with yeah. a mustache. Well, I mean, it's hard on short. Okay, notice. it is. That's true. We can't. We can't all just sprout a Mike Beltran esque true level of mustache on on such short. And notice. if you have to pare it down on short notice to make it memorable, you're you're one or two bad decisions away from rolling out of there with a Hitler mustache. And then yeah, you're just, sure. you're memorable for all the wrong reasons. Uh, the other thing that strikes me about Devin Clark is that this dude would be a welterweight if not for those legs. <laughs> but, Devin Clark has perhaps the biggest legs I've ever seen. Well, okay. I mean. It looks like he had to slit the shorts up the, up the, the leg hole there. Not, not for style or like, I'm going to try to high kick you reasons, but just so his quads and hamstrings would fit through the holes like this is a dude with some massive massive lower body stuff happening you're saying maybe finding jeans isn't that easy for Devin clark i mean especially now with the current fashions yeah i'm guessing yeah and then 
uh, you know, let's just briefly here, uh, despite the fact that he, this is a fight that he should win and that he is, uh, you know, maybe a level above Devin Clark, an impressive performance by Anthony Smith here, takedown on a guy who I believe was a Juco wrestling national champion, gets him on the ground, winds up on the bottom, gets swept there, but then pretty quickly locks on a tight ass triangle where he didn't even really have the arm across and still gets like a, a quick and easy tap out there. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. He cut the angle so sharp on it that he didn't really need the armor cross on it. Like when you can get off at that angle and it just creates like this like scissor effect that you're immediately cutting off the blood flow there. He didn't really even have a chance to start setting up a defense. Uh, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Smith. It reminds you that, that Anthony Smith can be doing stuff out there, that it's not, you know, he doesn't have to be slugging it out with Glover Tashira losing teeth and whatnot. He's got other skills at his disposal. And whatnot. So, all right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. I believe this week we have the rare joint Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Where you and I looked around the landscape and both came to the conclusion. There's one real obvious yeah. thing here. Yeah. Well, this this comes from an MMAfighting.com story by Stephen Morocco. He's talking about UFC President Dana White's reaction to the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. event. Here's a a sentence from this story. Sitting octagon side at UFC Apex, UFC President Dana White watched three screens during UFC Vegas 15. His fights, Tyson versus Jones Jr., and college football. And that doesn't even count his phone, which he's normally looking at the whole time anyway. So that's four screens. Is it possible, Ben, Dana White is following his own advice here? That if you don't like it, don't fucking watch. See, the Tyson Jones thing is almost a little understandable because it's combat sports. It's in his world. Mike Tyson is a friend of Dana White's. We all know this. And so maybe you can understand he'd want to keep an eye on it. But then go ahead and add me a third screen so I can watch college football. It's like, imagine that you're, you're, you're Parker Porter out here on this main card. Heavyweight fighter yeah. Parker Porter, whose previous claim to fame was that he got beat by John Jones on the regional scene back when he was one of those poor bastards who had to show up. And they're like, oh, you're fighting this other guy who doesn't have a whole lot of experience. And it turns out that guy is John fucking Jones. He goes out there, wins himself a decision here, probably feels pretty good about it. And then afterwards, you, you do some reading, the, looking around the Internet to see how impressed the boss was with your performance. And it turns out he watching like fucking Rutgers uh, like Kansas state or some shit like that. Like he's got, he, he, it's just one other thing on TV to him. And he's the guy running the show. You get the sense yep. that the only reason that the UFC fights even make this, this triumvirate of screens is because he is literally profiting off them right at that very moment. Six guys on the main card of this thing without Wikipedia entries, probably building this up in their mind as their big opportunity to go out there and put the best foot forward in front of the boss, really impress Dana White. Then in the post fight, you find out, oh, no, he just had a C note on the Citadel to beat <laughs> Incarnate Word. So he had to have that one up on the screen there. So you fucking kidding me? Imagine doing the thing. You pop up, you get a big finish and you're looking around and you're going, Dana, Dana. And he's looking up. Uh, you know, from like Nebraska. Uh, yeah, he's putting his finger up like, wait, wait, wait. It's third and two. <laughs> I got to see how this play yeah. goes. And then you can have my undivided. There's an important game in the Mountain West Conference right now. Then then I'll, I'll catch back up, circle back on what you did here in the octagon. See, how I reiterate, how can people be mad at us for not watching Look, stuff? Are you kidding me? Dana White is out here 
four screen in it during the fucking fight night event. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Chad, I'm sitting there on Saturday night. I've made it all the way through the Thriller on Triller broadcast. I've watched Nate Robinson get face-planted by Jake Paul, who, come to find out, is actually a different person from Logan Paul. I've been patiently sitting through the musical acts in between the fights because I I don't know exactly how you caught up on the fights, but... One of the things they were doing was after every after every bout, we'd go to AC Slater, who looks exactly the same as he did when he was holding it down as wrestling captain at Bayside High. He would introduce the next musical act, which I may or may not have heard of. And then that person would do like two songs, which was one more song that I was expecting out of all of them. Then we get just before the main event, Snoop Dogg, who has been doing a little bit of commentary uh, on the previous fight. He gets out there wearing a jacket that seems to be depicting the cover art from his famous doggy style album, smoking something copiously and noticeably and just rapping through the high points of his catalog. And I'm wondering, Chad, when he gets to the part where he's about to say that ain't no pussy good enough to get burnt while he's up in it. I'm like, is he gonna, is he gonna do that part on this live TV sports broadcast? Are we cleaning it up at all? Nope. Turns out he's going to say the part about not wanting to contract a sexually transmitted disease because there is no sexual experience that's good enough to be worth that. He just lays it all out there. And that's when I knew, Chad, we're, we're doing something here tonight. You know, like we're not, we're not, we're not holding anything back for the second thriller on Triller show. We're doing everything that we can possibly do in this fight. And as, as then, I'm still basking in this when Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. get out there and do this stuff. And I realized, damn it, I did get $50 worth of entertainment out of this. I must admit. Well, I'm, that's a lot. You laid a lot of stuff out there uh, for us to respond to. First of all, I would say AC Slater better watch out. Because being the captain of the wrestling team at Bayside High is an accolade weighty enough to get you on this card if there was a a late replacement needed. Uh, Because obviously you had some guys out there just making their debuts. Um, How high were you? It's not. I guess that's my question. Like, how inebriated were you for the, this this pay per view? Like, what? How much enhancement did it require for you to really make it feel like this was? I don't know it? if it required any enhancement. Okay, but it didn't hurt, did it? Well, you know, it, you're if you're having a good time, you might as well have a good time. Yeah. yeah. What this though that did kind of remind me of, especially I wrote about it a little bit in my column afterwards, but like. I'm sitting there. I've got the UFC on the laptop. I've got this Mike Tyson, Roy Jones thing streaming sure, on. Sure. You're, you're multi-screening yeah. it just like Dana. No White. college football or anything. I'm just strictly focused on combat sports. Like I, I felt like my attentions were a little divided, but I guess by comparison, I had laser focus on combat sports on the evening. And 
it's not exactly like a one-to-one comparison, obviously, because somebody's trying to do a boxing pay-per-view with some of the biggest names in boxing over the last like 30 years, even if you know the names have outlived the athletic ability at this point. We all know that. And it's a $50 pay-per-view compared to the UFC's regular-ass fight night event that is free with an ESPN subscription. But at the same time, it did serve as some reminders to me about what the UFC has gotten away from a little bit and what what combat sports can and maybe even should be when you're looking at just the presentation. Because we've talked about this before that – like. Having just watched UFC 255, it's not like that. The presentation of that pay per view, which cost even more than the thriller on Triller, it's not like it was super different in terms of like how they present the live product on TV. And one of the things that kind of convinced me or allowed me to convince myself to go ahead and order this thing, I was, I was kind of on the fence about it on Saturday afternoon. I saw Big George Foreman on Twitter. He was like, I bought the fight and I bought it because like a Tyson event still feels like a special thing. And I want to, I want to see it for myself and want to see it live and be able to say that I saw it and not just heard about it from other people afterwards or went back and saw what other people thought was the important stuff. I want to, I want to live it. And I was like, yeah, that is kind of the thing. And that it has been kind of the thing with Tyson stuff, even back when he was a little bit closer to his prime where it was, you know, he might go out there, be some weird shit show kind of stuff. But damn it, you wanted to be part of that shit show. You wanted to be experiencing it live. I'm curious, in fact, how it was for you to go back afterwards when you hear people talking about it. And it's like you you kind of know what happened before you actually see what happened. And here, part of the appeal is like this may be kind of a weird thing that could turn out to be bad in a lot of different ways. But we're all in on it together. Whereas the thing the UFC is doing is kind of the same thing as always. Like, hey, we're going to roll out these. We're going to blast through these walkouts. A bunch of people in the same old shorts are going to get out there and uh, fight each other. And then we're going to get them quickly out of here. And then some other guys and the almost identical shorts are going to come back out of here. And we're just going to kind of roll through it as this like just very sober minded TV sports product. Meanwhile, Snoop Dogg is out there smoking a blunt and talking about no pussy good enough to burnt, get burnt while he's up in it, Chad. And you're just like, these are two, Some things are universal. These are two different things. These are two different products, yeah. but yeah. in sports that are pretty close together. Yeah, I made it through two and a half rounds, I think, of Tyson Jones when I went back to watch it earlier today, and then I felt like I got the gist. Um, couple couple old fellas fighting in a nightclub type setting. Uh, oh wait! Yeah, the, I mean, like we said about Kingdom, can you admit that the the fighting was not the worst thing about this? No, the worst thing about it was Snoop on commentary. That was far and away was the worst thing about it. Uh, I mean, I would give it to Tyson and Jones that it seemed like, considering their advanced ages, they made it look better than people expected. But I also wonder if we are dealing in a weird way with the product of lowered expectations here where this whole week or last week, I'm sorry, the, uh, the storyline about this fight was that it was going to be kind of a sham because of the exhibition rules that had been foisted on it. I think by, they were in Nevada, right? Nevada state, California, uh, Oh, California state Athletic commission, excuse me. Uh, and that, you know, there's not going to be any knockdowns. There wasn't going to be official judges. And so I think people came into it, like not expecting to see a real fight. And the fact that Tyson and Jones were able to give them maybe like 70% of what looked like a real fight 
maybe was enough for people considering that they had already lowered their expectations. I feel like if you would come into this event without that snowball of negative press before it happened, my gut tells me a lot of people would have looked at it and, and been less excited. But because it kind of cleared the bar of where whatever those lowered expectations were, we were inclined to be okay with it. Uh, you know, Tyson looked all right. He looked quicker than I think he has any right to at that age. Uh, from what I saw, Roy Jones Jr. was having a good time. you yucking it up with the ref, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't look like he had done a tremendous amount of road work before this, but uh, you know, it'd be a say la vie, I guess, if you're going to be an exhibition bite. But like, yeah, credit to those guys who probably made a lot of money and had an exhibition fight and made it look slightly better than people expected. Yeah, I mean, Tyson looked like he was going after him. And that's kind of all you can really expect that Roy Jones looked at times like he was going to hold on there and just try to make sure nothing really bad happened to him, which I guess I kind of can't blame you if you're in this fight that's supposed to be an exhibition and Mike Tyson is in there throwing Mike Tyson punches at you. I'm probably going to hold on there, too. But I was surprised that the the quality of the action, I was like, this is definitely not anywhere close to the worst thing about this, which was going to be my concern. Yeah, that- and, it, and it wasn't the worst fight. It wasn't even the worst boxing match I think anybody has ever no. seen. But it did. The whole thing did kind of remind me a little bit of the the importance of entertainment value in your live combat sports broadcast experience. And the UFC, it seems like, has slid really far on the other end of the spectrum. Like they're just trying to take like this is a serious mainstream sports kind of thing. And also they treat these events like it is just the conveyor belt from like getting through the card and then the next one we're going to ramp up and we they've done it so much and done it fairly well that at this point it doesn't seem like we're anybody's really asking themselves any questions about how to put on these events because they're they're sure that they know it all and we're just going to do the same thing that we've been doing and and all these events they end up just kind of like looking like the same event pretty much just with slightly different people plugged in every once in a while and when you see like a different combat sports product every once in a while, and sometimes we've had the same conversation about like KSW or some of the like overseas options where they are actually trying to find a way to entertain you with this one. That's at least a little bit unique to this event. And that is not just like, Hey, we're just going to do the same. We're, we're rinsing and repeating and painting by numbers out here. Uh, and it made me long a little bit for those days of, a little more entertainment value. I mean, obviously it's tough to do when you're in an empty arenas, you don't have the benefit of fans, but then when you do see like the, the side by side, like comparison on two screens at the same time. And you know, the boxing event had to do the same thing without fans had to find a way to inject some entertainment value. You could argue that maybe Wiz Khalifa could have just done one song. Maybe we didn't need to hear two, but still, you know, like putting a little more effort into that side of the thing. And also realizing when you realize how many people seem to pay attention to this, it's like the actual quality of fighting is not the only thing you're selling as a fight promoter. And you kind of kid yourself if you tell yourself that it is. Yeah. Any desire to watch another one of these or any desire to see Mike Tyson compete again, you had Evander Holyfield out here on the socials today, posting pictures, uh, He's he's rough and ready and and primed to go. 
do you want to, would you watch that? If it was Tyson Holyfield in the two minute rounds exhibition thing, tr- thriller on thriller part do, uh, would you, would you watch it? Or are you did one thing quench your thirst for whatever this was, you know, depending on what they offer and when, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to try to turn around and, uh, test my appetite for it a month or two from now, but I might be talked into it again. I also, I was interested in what Mike Tyson was saying afterwards when asked about like the YouTube boxers. And he was like, we owe them a debt for getting people, getting this generation and their fans who are not typically boxing fans, getting them in, interested in boxing. And I think he said something along the lines of UFC has been kicking our butt lately in, in boxing. And we owe these guys a debt of gratitude for them getting into boxing. And they bring their fan base. They bring a different demographic here and they get people interested in it. And I thought, you know what? Like he has a, he does have a point there because to the people who definitely knew that Jake Paul is a different person from Logan Paul, I'm sure that they they bring a whole different whole different view of this whole sport and of everything that's going on to something like this. And they probably came away feeling like they got their money's worth. Yeah, and that's you know a good time was had by all. So that's that seems fine to me. That's going to do it for round number three or two. We'll be right back. Round number three. been somewhat excited for this pending middleweight bout between Darren Till and Jack Hermanson until it got scratched back in early November uh, when Till had to pull out with an undisclosed injury. The UFC did what it does and shuffled things up thinking it was going to bring in Kevin Holland to fight Jack Hermanson. But then on November 28th, Kevin Holland was removed after testing positive for COVID-19 Marvin Vittori, who is hanging around about ready to fight Jacare Souza next week at UFC 256, uh, decided to jump in, serve as the replacement. So part one of what we get here is a UFC on the ESPN fight night event coming up on Saturday featuring a middleweight fight between Jack Hermanson now and Marvin Vittori. That's not the entire story, however. Because no sooner, essentially, had Kevin Holland tested positive for COVID-19 and Marvin Vittori was shuffled forward to to fight Jack Hermanson. But Kevin Holland, I guess, there are reports now, is going to be rebooked against Jacare Souza next week at UFC 256. So there's just a lot of moving pieces here that uh, even with hashtag everything that's been going on this seems like kind of a special case yeah imagine being jack hermanson here like imagine the the flexibility that is being asked of him and of people probably thinking that they're not asking that much of him but in fact doing him a favor by keeping his fights together because he starts out supposed to be darren till right till gets injured you know and like the next thing you know you're on to the third opponent and people just going like Hey, just try not to get COVID and show up on the night and and fight whoever may happen to be there. Yeah. 
Uh, and not only that, but like Jack Hermanson defeating Darren Till would have been a pretty big deal in the career of Jack yeah. Hermanson. That would have been, uh, you know, a statement moment for him. Uh, Kevin Holland, somewhat less so. Marvin Vittori, somewhat even less so, I think. So uh, hard to know how the preparations for Jack Hermanson are going here. Hard to know about the motivation for Jack Hermanson here. Hard to know, uh, you know, how he's even going to be feeling coming into this fight with Marvin Vittori, aside from the fact that if it were me, probably be thinking quite a lot about the money. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't know exactly what, what, how you keep yourself interested in, in going in there to fight another human being stripped to the waist inside a steel cage. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like it's got to be such a weird time for everybody involved in these events to try to, like, you know, what's got to be stressful as all hell for the UFC matchmakers. Like they're years from now, Sean Shelby is going to have some kind of weird PTSD thing when his phone buzzes with a text message. He's going to remember the, the scourge of 2020 when it just seemed like constantly somebody was hitting him up with a new problem, a new COVID positive and that they, a new situation with that, that they had to hurry up and try to solve. And then on the other side, you got the fighters trying to figure out like, okay, I signed up for this one thing. And now we're a long way away from what that one thing was. I'm expected to still go in there with the same enthusiasm and energy and preparedness and focus and all that. And yet what I agreed to and what we're doing here are two different things. And again, he probably is feeling kind of just grateful that you don't have your fight canceled altogether. Like Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis, that where you you go through the whole training camp and get right up there to the day before the fight and find out you don't have a fight. Yeah. Can you imagine how it would be to be a UFC production person at this point, like a, like a video editor? Do you think those people are even bothering to go home? Uh, or are you just hanging around in the UFC office waiting for the other shoe to drop on every single one of these events? That's what I was thinking when I was watching the lead up to Anthony Smith versus Devin Clark was like, you know, maybe maybe you already have a bunch of work done on it because it's supposed to be your co-main, but like you're still being taxed with editing together these things, maybe at the last minute to try to make Anthony Smith versus Devin Clark seem like a suitable main event for a UFC fight card. And like, frankly, doing a pretty good job from where I'm sitting. Like you watch those, those hype vignettes and the UFC always does a good job, like making it seem like something is at stake and like, seem like you're going to see a high level competition, but it's just like, it's got to be the biggest nightmare in the world if you are a video person for the UFC right now. You're probably just on call 24 hours a day waiting for Curtis Blades to to get COVID. So you got to come in and redo all the work you just did the day before. Yeah. I mean, I just picture somebody heaving a big sigh, running their hand through their hair, turning to somebody and saying, do we know where that footage of Anthony Smith outside the subway is? Can we get pull it up? I don't care if we used it or pull it up. We need it. We need that Anthony Smith subway vignette because, damn it, oh, if the the rug just got yanked out from under us again. Or maybe they're experienced yeah. enough at this point that they just have all the backup video vignettes right at hand, heading it. Because you'd think you'd have to an be hour ready or two before the event, point. the whole thing could change. Jack Hermanson, folks, has won uh, five of his last six fights. He lost to Jared Cannonier last September, but he beat Kelvin Gastelum in July of this year. What is it going to tell you? If anything at all, if he is able to defeat Marvin Vittori, who is streaking a little bit, he's won three in a row headed into this headed into this fight. But still, uh, I don't know if we if there are even odds at this point 
since we are putting everybody's name in a crown royal bag and shaking it up and dumping it out. But uh, what will it mean to you, if anything, if Jack Hermanson d- defeats Marvin Vittorio? I mean, it's fight? kind of a sneaky, tough fight for for Jack Hermanson. That, and a sneaky, tough fight without the big upside of a big name like Darren Till, like something that he initially signed up for. Because I remember when he first agreed to, the, to that fight, it was like, okay, is he ready for that level of competition, that kind of thing? And But if you do beat Darren Till, then right, you know, you're right there with everybody talking about you as a capital G guy in the division. And it's not quite the same with Marvin Vittori, but he's a tough fighter. Like I just looked at the odds, in fact, just now, Marvin Vittori, a slight favorite right now. In this fight, like minus one thirty five okay. with Jack Hermanson at plus one fifteen, and yet a lot of people don't know who Marvin Vittori is or don't know that much about him, and so they will look at it as like, okay, yeah, you you, you win this one just to not fall down anywhere from where you are, but it, it, style wise and just like raw ability wise, it's kind of a tough fight for Jack Hermanson. And as we said at the top of the show, the UFC now doing the thing with Kevin Holland where he gets COVID-19 and they're like, all right, we'll push your fight by a week and uh, we're sure you'll be fine to show up and fight Jacare Souza, who, oh, by the way, had COVID-19 earlier this year. Uh, and we'll see you. We'll see you at UFC 256, kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, best of luck when we assume that you'll just be fine from it. And uh no more than a minor inconvenience, apparently, to get this virus that has turned our entire world upside down. Is Davis and Figueredo, does Davis and Figueredo actually have the right approach here? That like we were just talking earlier in the show, like, what do you do to get noticed? What do you what do you do to get people to your to remember you when there's so many events that if you show up three months from now, we might not even remember that you're Joaquin Buckley, the same guy who spin kicked KO to his opponent in his last time out. Davis and Figueredo now making this this uh, lightning quick turnaround to fight Brandon Moreno in the main event of UFC 256, 256. It strikes me in the wake of that conversation, like maybe that's the right move. Maybe if you are the UFC flyweight champion and you were doing anything you can to get noticed and keep your division alive, it doesn't hurt to fight every other event. Yeah. Well, when you fight and you win them all, then yeah, that starts to look like a really good idea. And especially if you're the flyweight champion, you're trying to maximize that and, and get, ring as much money as you can out of that and ring as much attention as you can while people are suddenly, like they haven't had a chance to forget you yet. And so you show back up and you win another one and it really maybe cements you in their minds a little more if you win them. I think we also pointed to some people earlier on in the pandemic era of the UFC who were just kind of on the warm bodies list. The UFC knew that they are around and available. And if we have a, a late minute change to a fight card, maybe we can call them up and get them in there. But then we saw some of those people where it's like, Hey, you, you were doing all right earlier on. And then in the span of three months, you've lost two fights and suddenly you're in a very different position. It always looks like a good idea if you're out there winning those fights. If you don't, I mean, yeah, if, if Davidson Figueroa loses to, to Brandon Moreno and don't you think a lot of people are going to turn around afterwards and be like, see, it was too much. It was too much it packed into too much, too little a time. He should have taken more time to in between fights to let his body recover from peaking and the weight cut and all that stuff before he tried to do it again. You know, there'll be a lot of second guessing if he doesn't win. Of course. Absolutely. All right. Let's do just saying stuff here, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Now, Ben, that we have determined that Jake and Logan Paul are two different individuals, I'm sure you will Huge remember. Huge if true, by the way. The, that the Paul brothers have beef 
with Dylan Dennis in the MMA community. And so after this fight over Nate Robinson, his big win over Nate Robinson, Jake Paul calls out both Dylan Dennis and Conor McGregor for a future bout. Now, Jake Paul came into the, the ring against Nate Robinson, I believe at 189 pounds. So we might have some weight stuff to figure out for a bout with either of those guys. But I guess I'm just saying a boxing match between Jake Paul and Conor McGregor, while laughable on the surface, is actually far, far less ridiculous than the idea of a boxing match between Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather Jr. And yet we did that one. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You're just saying that once you open Pandora's box, all things are possible? I mean, if you were Conor McGregor and you wanted to get back and have another boxing fight, wouldn't a fight against Jake Paul be something that you would seriously consider, considering how much money you would be liable to make from it? The fact that he wants to fight you and you might fuck around and win? I think first you'd want to figure out which which Paul brother that one actually is, because... Yeah, you don't want him to do the killer bees thing where one of them rolls out of the ring and the other one rolls in while the ref's back That'll is happen. turned. You don't want that, that will to happen. absolutely happen if you're not careful. Well, Jed, I'm just saying, I'm going to read you the caption on a Diego Sanchez Instagram post here. It's a black and white photo of Diego Sanchez. His love, face, I love where his we're face all bloodied in a fight. First, uh, it starts with a, a sentence in quotation marks. I feel like I always knew fighting was what I wanted to do. Close quotation marks. Then the end of this fighting lifestyle approaches very soon. Retirement fight needs to be the proper opponent. And I'm checking out of this game at UFC at Dana White. And of course, at school of self-awareness. I guess I'm just saying, do you think the use of the word proper in referring to the opponent for his retirement fight? They need to have the proper opponent. You think that's just a coincidence? Think that's action? Uh, it depends. It depends on how much we've been learning at the school of self-awareness, I think. How are our studies I'm going? I'm also just saying, is there embedded in this kind of a hidden threat that the retirement fight has to be the proper opponent? And if you don't find me that proper opponent, then I will never, ever, ever retire. I'm just saying. Just on a search, an endless search for the proper there opponent. You, that's the way people keep telling you they think you should retire. And you're like, man, I agree. I just got to get the right opponent for that, that retirement fight. And I'm out there looking for him. Been looking for him for six years now. Just out here trying to find out if this is the right, the, the proper opponent for my retirement fight. And then after, after each one, you know, he loses a decision or something and he goes out there and he's like, nope, that wasn't it. It wasn't the proper yeah. opponent. Still on the lookout. Wow, just, just saying. saying. And that's some, something for us all to sit to think about. A sobering, sobering concept for us all to think about. That's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. We'll be back uh, Wednesday for the live chat over on the Patreon page, followed by the Movie Club, followed by the Power Hour. If you haven't joined the team over there, lots of fun stuff constantly happen. Go over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up. And of course, one week from today, we'll be back for another episode of The Proper Talk about all the stuff that happened at this Jacker Manson versus Marvin Vittori event. Look ahead to UFC 256, where, as we said, Davison Figueredo will defend his title against Brandon Moreno. And 
Tony Ferguson going to be out here making the comeback fight against Charles Oliveira. So suffice to say, we'll have some stuff to talk about. Knock on wood, hoping all that stuff hangs together. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Seriously, you saw that video, though, that I sent you of Stoop Dog rapping his way through the high points of the catalog, and you were like, man, I fucked up. I should have ordered this. I mean, in all fairness, uh, that was a fairly high-caliber Snoop Dogg performance, yeah. considering some of the things we've seen from him in recent Well, he's just going to do a verse here. He's going to do a verse from Gin and Juice, going to do a verse from Nothing But a G Thing, going to do a verse from Drop It Like It's Hot. He's hitting the high notes, and then he's moving on. He's not going to make you sit through some of the lower points on the catalog. He's not going to do the, the, like, the duet he did with Miley Cyrus or whatever. Like, he's, he, he knows. Yeah. He's not like, here's my verse from the Katy Perry yeah. song. Nope. Sons, bums, having fun. I don't you, even remember. It was you had that right at That's the top of the tongue. You, you know I mean, it's it's one of the worst guest rap verses in recent memory. I'll do respect to Snoop, but it's pretty bad. You don't play with boxing. That's why I was surprised that he's out here like making it look good with gin and juice. And you don't play with this pimple. Like I always say. It.